there's this point where you have a negative money mindset. And I look at money mindset as a funny thing. You have a negative money mindset and then you need to turn it into a positive. So like, I hate money. I love money. So I was like very proud of the money. And then you need to get to like a neutral point where the money is just a flow of energy. It's just a number on your bank account, but it doesn't necessarily define you. Not having it doesn't define you. Having it doesn't define you. It's just like a fact. Welcome to Make Bank with Marie Wold. I'm Marie. And for the last decade, I've been helping women set and hit unrealistic goals while building their definition of a rich life. This podcast is your ultimate destination for unfiltered discussions about personal development, entrepreneurship, wellness, confidence, wealth building, relationships, and so much more. We're creating our dream lives together, and I'm so glad you're here. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. Hello, Marie. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that we finally get to have our conversation because it's been a minute since you had me on your podcast and I desperately wanted to reciprocate, but my podcast was on a break. But now we're back better than ever. And you obviously came to mind as someone that I was really excited to interview with like the first batch of the relaunch. So very excited. I'm so jumping in. Yeah, of course. Of course. I've had the pleasure of like spending lots of time with you in real life on like retreats and also over Zoom through the mastermind that we were both in. But for people who are just meeting you for the first time, I would love for them to get a little bit of your backstory. Of course, we want to like chat and get to the interview, but I want them to understand like your origin story, how fast forward Amy came to be and just give them the context because you've accomplished so much and you're such a cool person that I always think that understanding where it all started is super powerful. So tell us how the empire came to be. Oh, such a big question. I think it's funny that you say you're such a cool person because I think it starts there with the fact that I've never actually felt like a cool person. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's something that um, a lot of people who actually struggled in school or who didn't have the greatest time, like I got bullied actually when I was 16 and didn't feel good in my skin. That's actually one of the things that eventually led me to becoming you know, very uh, enamored with fitness, uh, unlike mm-hmm. or like so many people here. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I fell in love with self-development, with improving myself, with becoming stronger. And over the years, I actually, through weightlifting, I started becoming a fitness coach and I helped people and everything just kind of exploded there. But after a while, I started realizing like, oh, I, you know, people are starting to ask me how I've built my fitness business. And Mm -hmm. I was studying business and I had been selling stuff since I was like 10 years old. And I started realizing like, hmm, I felt this deep shame of transitioning from fitness to business coaching because I thought, you know, that's what everyone is doing and I'm not supposed to be doing that. But then my, Mm -hmm. my mindset coach, she told me like, but she said, sweetie, you've always been a business coach. You just did fitness (laughs) coaching for a while. And yeah. I was learning to run my business. And I started realizing like, you know, the confidence, the coaching, the business part of things, it's all linked. And if you're not confident, you're not going to set your prices right. So everyone who came to me to ask me how I built my business, I started helping them. And then um, that got out of control. And I started with my mm-hmm. own mastermind because I thought it's better to bring a group of people together. And then I got too many people on the wait list for that mastermind and a little over two years ago, I came to this pivotal point, which is when we met, actually. Mm-hmm. And 
I got to the point where I thought, okay, I now have 300 people on a wait list for a mastermind where I can only take 30 spots and yeah. I can run a second one, but I'm already glued to my computer. This is not fun. I don't want to keep on telling, you know, explaining the same things over and over again. So I thought, you know, it's time to scale. <laughs> so I hired my first um, a team member. We started looking at how can we do this? I started postponing everything. And then I decided to launch a hybrid program. And that summer I did a million dollar launch in two months, um, yeah. which was also fueled by anger <laughs> because <laughs> yes, I, was, I love this story. <laughs> I was, um, I was already doing pretty well. Like my business was already yeah. doing well, but like very steadily, you know, you start running webinars and you have a podcast and everything goes better and better, but it was fairly linear up until that point mm -hmm. where I was like, you know, I'm going to turn this mastermind into a group program with modules and, and six months of coaching. And it was off to a good start. And I talked to the bank like, hey, I want to buy a house. This was in the middle of the pandemic. I thought, you know, it would be nice to have more than just an apartment that's really hot in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. And they told me, yeah, for this amount of money, you can probably buy a house. So I'd found my literal dream house. Spoiler, mm -hmm. I'm sitting in it right now. Um, <laughs> that's and, amazing. Yeah. And I... Um, I, I found the house, I signed the papers. I knew I could still come back on it if I couldn't get a loan, but I knew that my revenue was really good. I had already done 200,000 euros in sales in that last week from my launch that was just starting. Yeah. And I finally heard back from the bank after like badgering them because they wouldn't get back to me about the loan. And they called me back and they said, yeah, I have good news and bad news. The good news is they made a decision. The bad news is you're not getting the loan because we think you're aiming too high for a young woman your age. And <laughs> as I'm saying this, I can still feel the gut punch from that moment. Yeah, yeah. That was not fun. And I started doubting myself, which took me a while. You saw me go back and forth that entire summer about like stressing out about it. But I did decide like, at first I was like, are they right? Am I not doing that well? But that mm -hmm. sentence, like I called them back and I said, what if I put down half of it myself for the loan? Like, no, we mm -hmm. still think you're aiming too high for a young woman your age. And at a certain point, like some kind of switch flipped inside of me. And I was like, you know what? I'll show them. I'm going to make it cash. <laughs> and I had never gotten those quotes, the quotes of like, show, show the haters who told you you can't that you can. Uh, yeah. But I got that quote. And two months later, I like the house was 920,000 euros and mm -hmm. I did 915,000 euros in my launch in a time frame of two months. Yeah. Casual. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love that story because I, I mean, I know it was so stressful for you at the time and like also just a mind fuck too. And that part I don't love, but I love the way that you responded to the, that situation and the way that you were like, okay, well, I'm going to control what I can control and I'm going to like make shit happen on my own. I don't need the bank. I don't need these old men to tell me what's possible. I'm going to like show you what's possible. And I just feel like that was the best possible way for you to respond. And now you have your house and it's just like a symbol every day of like what's possible and what a badass you are. Yeah. And it's a symbol of, you know, if you believe in yourself, you can do it. I think there's this quote, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah. And I think 
that was the evidence of this because it's not like I flipped a switch and then it was easy. I actually got to the point where I knew the deadline is passing where I can back out and get my money back. Mm-hmm. And I actually had to do the math of like, okay, so if I move forward and still don't get the loan and don't succeed in making it cash, then I was like, okay, what's the worst case? And the worst case was that I was going to lose a hundred thousand euros. Mm. And I was like, you know, I have four months for that worst case. So I really decided to let the deadline pass. And I, fully accepted the fact that I was going to lose 100k if I didn't make it happen because I thought I can make that money back but if I back down now I'm not getting the house so I'm not yeah. telling people be irresponsible like I I had that amount in my in my bank account so I was like I could afford to lose that money would have still sucked but I could afford to lose that money and I think that's kind of where risk taking sometimes comes in calculated risks i'm not saying yeah just like be irresponsible no one should do that and make sure you can still pay your bills but i think especially in belgium right now we do even with everything that's happening in the world people do still have a tendency of like oh but i can't invest in this i can't do this because then i can't save money anymore and i'm like but mm-hmm. do you think that big entrepreneurs throughout the entire world in the first few years of business that they were saving money. No, they were happy yeah. that they were making money. I wasn't saving yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or or one of my favorites is like, oh, I'm like I don't I'm uncomfortable making the investment. So I'm gonna wait and save up money even though I don't know how to make more money right now. Like I just I have no idea how to make more money, but I need to make more money before I can invest in my business. I'm like, that's kind of an oxymoron. It doesn't really work that way. Yeah. I used to be yeah. used to not necessarily think of it like that. I think my biggest fear in getting business coaching was that someone was going to point out to me all the things I was doing wrong. And I was like, I don't want to know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss for a second. But I think whether it's business or like your fitness goals or whatever, like at a certain point, you decide that like the pain or the regret or whatever negative experience around staying where you are outweighs like the pain of the growth or the pain of the investing or the pain of the risk. Like you'll take action once staying where you are sucks more than doing what it takes to get where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think your, your business success is just amazing, obviously. And the fact that you were able to flip that switch scale so quickly, I know that I could pick your brain on that and we could talk shop about like strategy and content and sales and stuff all day. But I wanted to take a little bit of a different angle with today's conversation because something else I also see you as a major leader in and something I know that like any ambitious woman can soak in and implement right now is your pure, just like unapologetic pursuit of success. And I think that all already shows through with the house story and reaching for those goals that other people deem unrealistic, either to your face, like they did, or just, you know, that like, it's it's beyond what most people think is possible. And from my understanding, in your country, like, people don't often talk as much about like money or wealth or success or like setting really big goals, especially as a woman, but like you've done it obviously. And you're, you can become the poster child of like unrealistic goals. So what have you seen as maybe the downsides? Cause I know it's really fun to celebrate the 
the dream house, like you got your dream car recently and you go to your car rallies and you stay in really amazing hotels and all that stuff is great. But being on the other side as like your friend and your peer, I also know there have been some downsides. So what what has that experience been like where you're willing to take up space and like claim really big goals regardless of what people have thought? Yeah, I think it, there's so many things that come to mind. So feel free to like supplement this with things that you've seen. Like you can talk about things you've seen with me because there's so much. I do remember in the beginning, you know, when you start making a lot of money and you come from like, we all have worthiness issues. We all have loveness issues. So in the beginning, I really took that money was like, I am worthy because, you know, the bank told me I'm mm. not like that. Mm. And I remember walking into a rally actually that I go to every year. So I drive classic car rallies for obviously those who don't know. It's so cool. <laughs> I, I had no idea what that was until I met you. And it's so cool. Yeah. I, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I show it on my stories sometimes on Instagram on my fast forward Amy account. And every year I do the same rally and I walk in there and there was a certain year when I had done really well. And I really walked in there like, haha, I make money. And sometimes <laughs> I still find myself in situations where mostly older men don't take me seriously and I feel this need mm -hmm. to prove myself but it's gotten less and less over the years because you are told women can't do it and then you do do it and so I think there's a lot of also learning how to manage yourself as you step into that expansion of like mm. okay but am I attaching too much worth on it I think it's like money yeah. mindset there's this point where you have a negative money mindset and I look at money mindset as a funny thing. You have a negative money mindset and then you need to turn it into a positive. So like, I hate money. I love money. So yeah. I was like very proud of the money. And then you need to get to like a neutral point where the money is just a flow of energy. It's just a number in right. your bank account, but it doesn't necessarily define you. Not having it doesn't define you. Having it doesn't define you. It's just like a fact. So right. the negatives have definitely been, I just recorded a podcast about this of, you know, oh, you're intimidating you're too mm. much, but mm. you're also never enough. What I struggle mm. with most right now, actually, I'm getting better at it, but it's the fact that I am the breadwinner of my mm. household. I am the the typical man who goes to work and who works late or whatever, and yeah. team and people who quit, people who start. But my some people in my environment also expect me to be the woman. Mm. and we, mm -hmm. we can talk about a lot of other things for free to suggest them but i think that's my biggest struggle right now is being so yeah. ambitious but mm -hmm. still being seen as a woman who should be good at doing laundry and i'm really right. bad at doing laundry <laughs> and it feels like the other stuff isn't respected as much because it's not typical and i i i'm a feminist but i hate going on the whole man hating tour it's not that it's just it comes from other women who are like, yeah. so you It's just are... the societal conditioning. Like, it's just like the expectations that society has like indoctrinated us into. Yeah. So like when, when a man has kids and he's very ambitious and he has a company, no one is like, what's it like running a business as a dad? No one yeah. says that. No, no, no. Or like who's taking care of your kids while you work, right? But how many women have been asked that if they have a business or a successful career? Yeah. And the, the thing I talk about with my friends a lot is no one will ever ask a man, so what's it like for your wife or girlfriend that you make more money than she does? But people mm. will always ask me this, like, what's it like for your boyfriend or whatever that you make more money than he does? And 
it's such a shame that that's such um such a big thing because it feels like you have an extra hurdle to work through to be allowed yeah. to make more money right right no absolutely and i think that zooming out even more like when you are such an ambitious person and you set really big goals and you're not afraid to like hustle and make shit happen a lot of that is also happening like from a place of more masculine energy like the doing the hustling the getting shit done is like a more masculine place too so that can also make it hard from a relationship dynamic to have to like embrace your feminine energy and like still have a partner who doesn't feel emasculated by like the level of power and drive that you hold but you also no one's winning if you can't balance it yeah in in your relationships either so I think that's like such an interesting dynamic and I've talked to so many women who have businesses like us or my friends that I know that have like corporate jobs who you know do really well it's really hard to to deal with that the expectation of if you're going to be a boss at work you also need to be a boss at home in the way that like you need to make the home and make the your your lifestyle run and if you have kids you better take care of the kids and if you have a husband you better keep him fed and manage your household which is like a whole job like managing a household is an entire full-time situation I have someone full-time to do that for me so yeah right and I love that I love that like having your business or having a successful career enables you to then like make that be the CEO of like your personal life to be like I'm delegating this (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna outsource this to someone else so tell me more about that what have you done to to be able to really focus in on your business and like leverage your strengths and then have the personal life kind of taken care of. I think the big shift came years ago when I was still in fitness coaching, when, you know, like you're coaching people, I had a studio where I was training them and, you know, I'm, I'm not such a neat and tidy person. I also don't love cleaning and stuff. So at the end of the day, I was just exhausted and I thought, you know, I really need help. But that time I was also still studying and running my business full-time. And I really had to get over myself to hire someone like um, to help clean the place because mm-hmm. I thought that on some level, I thought that was going to make me a bad woman. I can't put it any other way than that. I thought that was like admitting defeat and it was weak. Mm-hmm. Until I worked through that and was like, you know, she can do it faster and better than I can. And in the time I pay her, for example, 10 euros an hour, I can make 50 euros an hour. So I started yeah. really grasping the fact of opportunity costs, like, oh, okay, if I wouldn't be able to make money, it would make sense if I could do this, but I get more energy and more money out of coaching a client for one hour mm-hmm. and my place gets clean. So that was a big shift. And then learning to invest in coaching programs, all of that, asking for help, letting go of the fact that you always need to figure it out, everything yourself. Because I literally used to think as an entrepreneur, supposed to be smart, I'm supposed to be able to do all of this myself, mm-hmm. which was just yeah. not true. But in terms of there's no like reward or like medal or bonus for like doing it all by yourself. It takes longer. It's harder. Like there's no extra cookies for that. It's it's so weird. I think it's fairly typical for people who grew up fairly intelligent or if you've had tiny successes, you're like, but I did that. So I can do that Mm -hmm. too. But what got you here isn't going to get you there necessarily. Yeah. And a big shift came when I really lost my own love of fitness because I 
was just almost burned out because I didn't have enough help because I didn't have enough self-care. Hired a coach to help me with like my last money. She helped me take care of myself again, which was what I was teaching other people. And then I ended up hiring a fitness coach. And a lot of people think when they see me with my, my personal assistant or with my fitness coach, they're like, oh, but you're here now. So now you can afford those things. But I started doing those things when I could barely afford it, when it was really like that last money on my account, because I was like, if I don't do that, I won't be able to get to that next level. So the long-term thinking mm -hmm. is really important. And I started investing in a personal trainer, which in the beginning felt obnoxious. I remember having personal training clients who spend so much money on me. And I was like, how do you afford me? Like, how do you do that? Yeah. And then a few years later, I'm the person who's hiring a personal trainer four times a week. And I got so much yeah. backlash about this. So many people were like, but can't you just do it yourself? You know what to do, right? You've been a fitness coach. I'm like, yeah, I can. But I don't want to. I don't want to be the boss that hour. And I want someone to be yeah. at my door. So yeah. that happened. And then my, my household was just a mess. There was laundry everywhere, everything. Like my house also gets used for a studio, for office, yeah. so many things. And I wasn't, I wasn't able to do it all. And I finally decided like, I kind of want a 1950s housewife. I want someone who takes care of me. Like in the 1950s, a wife would take care of yeah. her husband. Uh, and I went out and got that. And again, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of my friends and family told me, you don't need that, surely, do you? Um, and then I make kind of the remark, like, what if I would have been a guy yeah, and, or a single dad, for example, no one would think it's weird that they have someone to help them with cooking and doing groceries and laundry. But because I'm a woman, I'm supposed to be able to do it. Yeah. That makes no sense. Right. I agree. I get to choose to not do it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just, it's frustrating that you have, it's like an uphill battle for people to understand. And then also, you know, and you've done so much work to be really confident in your values and your beliefs and the way that you want to show up. But no matter how strong you are over time, just like hearing that negativity or those little pushbacks or those little digs like that can wear on you and I feel like even the most confident person is eventually like damn do they have a point like is there could there be some truth to this just like you experienced with um the men at the bank like that planted yeah. that like seed of self-doubt even though you you went and did it so I'm curious like what is your approach when that self-doubt does start creeping in like whether it's triggered by other people or not like what is your way to combat that because we know that growing a business and hitting goals is like so much of the mental game yeah it's like the toughest journey of self-awareness you'll ever take mm. uh, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship is difficult i'm um, not gonna lie i think for me well first up check your cycle <laughs> How are your hormones doing? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's just like, that's a thing. Next. How is your sleep? Did you sleep last night? Yeah. If not, you're just tired. Go to bed, put down the phone. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I look at growth as a type of situation where you are in the middle of a circle and you are chained to the floor with like an elastic band. And this is your comfort zone. And then there's a different zone, which is a different circle, which is like a few yards is I think what you guys say, meters away. Yeah. Like you can see it, but it's, you got to run there. 
And yeah. you're like, oh, that's a growth zone. And you see the gains are there. You're like, oh, there's the money I want to make. There's a the comfort I want to create for myself in my house, this house, or I don't know, something you want to accomplish is there. It's like with fitness or business results, anything you want, it's there in that different circle. And you're like, cool, cool, cool. I can see it. I'm going to go there. And you're just like, yeah, jump up and you're like, I'm going to walk there. You might even start running, but you're like, oh, nope. This is difficult because the elastic bands, you forgot, but that was chaining you to the middle of the comfort zone. You're like, oh, well, this is more difficult than I thought. And you yeah. that circle and you're just going and all of a sudden, bam, a dodgeball hits you in the face. And you're like, what is happening? And it, like the elastic band is still putting you back. And then there's a second dodgeball. It's just like, bam, in the stomach. You're like, yeah. what? And before you know it, you've lost track of that circle of where the gain zone is the growth zone and you start yeah. looking at the dodgeballs and because you start looking at it, it's like bam self-doubt in the face bam opinions of your environment in your stomach and you're looking at it and before you know it it just hits you in the face you're so shocked and you just fly back into your comfort zone yeah that is what growing feels like i remember hiring my first employee and thinking i cannot do this this is too difficult and the big yep thing that happened to me and I've had to say this last week to myself when I was really I had a really shitty day and I thought you know what I can't I just can't do this and I kept repeating to myself I can't and I've, I've done over a million in revenue this year I have thousands of happy clients I have a award-winning podcast all of that but I was just like I can't so yeah what I've learned is to normalize that feeling mm -hmm. to take a night to be like this is normal and I've also learned that you can get to the growth zone but there's a few things you need to know. The elastic band is there and it's going to try to pull you back to that comfort zone. The dodgeballs are mm -hmm. there, but there are a few tricks you can do. The elastic band can wear off if you can just keep going. So if you can just keep going, mm -hmm. it's going to start, you know, like loosening up. It's like yeah. fitness bands that loosen up. And if yeah. you don't look at the dodgeballs and you stay focused on what's up ahead, they're not going to hurt as much. They're not going to hit you in the face. You just mm -hmm. can't get distracted, but you also can kind of just accept that some dodgeballs are going to hurt. And the biggest yeah. thing for me has been to normalize the growing pains, to normalize the fact that sometimes it hurts. And that's been my lesson is to just kind of accept it and then not spend too much time on thinking, so that means I suck. So that means I can't. No, sometimes it's mm -hmm. just going to be hard. It's normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like not making a story about like, oh, because this is hard, I must not be cut out for this or I will never succeed or whatever. And just like letting it become this whole narrative. Sometimes it's just hard. And yeah. whether it's business or fitness or a corporate career or whatever, like to go to the next level, you're learning new skills. You're putting yourself in a position of higher pressure, higher expectations, higher standards. Like that's going to take a second yeah. to get used to and acclimate to. And like, be able to feel comfortable in. And I think something else people don't talk about is like, yes, getting to the next level is hard. But once you get there, you have to hold it too. Like you're not just checking the box. You're like, okay, done. I made it. Like I've achieved my seven figure year or whatever. Like then you have to maintain that and like get used to it and acclimate to that new pressure. So what is that like? Especially because you scaled so quickly with your million dollar launch. I know you have several several employees now like I watched your business really scale quickly so what is that like it's difficult once you start playing not to lose 
So mm-hmm. imagine you are there with the elastic band and you're like, oh, I, I got to the new circle and now I have like a new elastic band. And you know what? I'm not going to go to the new circle. I'm just going to walk around. That fucking hurts. And you will get pulled backwards. So I think there's also mm-hmm. a mistake I made there is it was such a mind fuck to grow so fast and to get the house and to get all the things and to make more money than you thought you could make like it was so weird i remember mm-hmm. the first 24 hours in my house physically mentally i just felt weirded out because it was yeah like oh my god i i expanded so quickly because there was literally so much space i came from a 90 square meter apartment in in the city mm-hmm. to a house with a lawn and a pool indoor and you know more space than, than i could put stuff into and yeah. the white marble in the hallway so it was really a dream and it just felt physically uncomfortable and the mistake Mm -hmm. i made there is i stayed in the oh no i accomplished my goals phase too long Mm -hmm. and this is gonna sound weird because you're also definitely allowed to rest but i remember years ago someone told me maintaining is the same as going backwards in your business and Mm -hmm. i thought they were full of shit i was like dude i'm tired (laughs) Uh, I think maintaining is fine. It's all I've got right now. But you always have to be focused on winning at something, especially if you're a result-oriented person. You do have to keep moving forward. And I think something there was really difficult for me. And I only recently realized that I, you know, I made 2 million then and then I couldn't see 10 million. And I had started making Mm -hmm. it that, oh, then I have to work harder for that. But that's not true. That's limiting beliefs. So maintaining it, I did maintain it, but for too long a time I was focused on not doing less than I did the year before instead of just mm-hmm. setting a clear-cut goal, creating actions and going there because I kind of felt like I had already gotten more than was allowed maybe, maybe because mm. of society, maybe because it was such a big deal. Yeah. It turned into more of a big deal and I was like, so I shouldn't do more because then people are really going to freak right. out. I should just they- be really happy with like what I've got already. Like, yeah, I did get a negative backlash. A lot of people did hate the fact that I made so much money all of a sudden. So I got a little bit of a, not in terms of success, but the money mindset thing really kind of screwed me. Yeah, I, I my business has grown more, I don't want to say slow and steady, but steadily, like on average, kind of doubling year over year, which which is great. A lot. But yeah, that that's still great. Like that's still exponential growth, but we haven't had a million dollar launch. Let's just put it that way. So and even my amount of growth and that pace. And I have a super similar background to you where like I sold my first thing on the internet when I was a teenager and I started as a fitness coach and I dealt with all of that stuff, but I've always been like the business person at it, like internally, but I, I did the successful business so that I could be a business coach basically was the journey. Something that I think you've done a really good job with and something I've had to figure out as I've gone along too is like being that your business is on social media you have to decide what level of vulnerability or transparency do I share when I'm also showing up as a leader a mentor and what level of transparency and vulnerability is helpful versus harmful and at what point am I opening myself up to just like more criticism and more negativity so I'm curious, how have you navigated that? Or like, what has your ethos turned into in terms of what do you document? What do you share? Because I've seen you go through 
kind of several different iterations. Like I know this has been something you've been experimenting with and like chewing on for a while. Yeah, I think I actually just had a conversation about this might not be the answer you think it's going to be. I'm really curious to hear your opinion. I think so as a personal brand, you know, that's that's a gift. If you can build a personal brand, it makes you able to sell so much, to connect with so many people, Mm -hmm. to build a community, but also has a downside that it is your personal brand. (laughs) Um, And for example, in, in the past year, Oh, I had a team and then I had the breakup and, and I, a big breakup. So last year I broke up with the person I um, lived together with in this house. We had, well, he had kids, so my plus kids together. So I had a very big heartbreak because of that. And I did show some of that online, um, more my, my feelings, the fact that I missed the kids. And there was a lot of backlash about that from my personal environment because they were like, why don't you share that with us? Or why do you feel the need to put it online? And at the time, it was what I wanted to do. And at the time, mm-hmm. I also thought with my team, it's good to show vulnerability because people always say that they want that. But lately, I've made a few new conclusions. In regards to okay. my team, I've decided that, and this is going to sound really weird, they, they noticed because they heard me say it last week in a coaching call, but... I've decided kind of like, I'm still looking for uh, to improve my leadership style, but I'm going to rewind. So two weeks ago, there was a flood in the house in Italy where I was with my cousin and four kids. Okay. So that was raining and the house was just like, there was water just pouring in. And the four kids all between the age of two and five were like, oh, what's happening? So all of the adults, I still don't consider myself to be one of the adults. <laughs> like, in my 20s yeah. I'm not an adult <laughs> so they were all like with the, the water and the buckets and everything and I was like there's four kids here if they see us freaking out they're gonna start freaking out so I talked to mm-hmm. them took them upstairs read them a little story was like oh what are mom and dad doing while well, they're, they're you know showing uh like making a ditch for the water and I, like I include them on it but I stayed really calm and then later they really wanted to help. So like gave them a little cups so they could pour water into a bigger cup. It was very useless, but I made them, yeah. you know, a part of it. And if I would have freaked out, they would have freaked out. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that I've started applying into my business, into my personal brand, as well mm-hmm. as my, my leadership brand, because you can't go and cry on your stories mm-hmm. and then your team not know about that or your clients not know. Mm-hmm. I think... Mm-hmm. I've decided for now that I do kind of have to be a strong tree. Like I can go a little bit Mm. in the wind, like my leaves can be rattled a little bit, but I should Mm. never seem very much ungrounded because people don't like a leader who's not grounded. People don't like it when someone is not trustworthy. And I think when you totally Mm -hmm. freak out, that is going to happen. And I am... I have done this. I have done this many times and I was not happy when my environment told me I shouldn't cry on my stories. And mm-hmm. at the time I was making decisions with what I had at the time. Looking back now, I think I can say that that was a sign that I didn't feel seen by my mm-hmm. environment and that I needed to feel seen by the people online who would maybe get me more. But now I don't mm-hmm. feel that need anymore. I think I've become much more conscious of what am I crafting online? You have mm-hmm. heard me talk about this. I used to share everything. Now I don't mm-hmm. really anymore. Now I've made hooks into what you can see of my personal life. I'll use my workouts every day as like a token of things. A couple of typical things I do. I make a lot of sex jokes, but people think they know me, but they don't see my deepest, darkest fears anymore because one, I've gotten better at handling them. And two, I don't want to give people that ammunition anymore. I was just going to use that word. Yeah. I think once you've done that enough times and it's come back 
to hurt you more. Like it's basically handing someone the knife or whatever and trusting them not to stab you with it. And with a big audience, like you can't trust hundreds, thousands of people that no one's going to use that against you, unfortunately. And so I've also gone through the same thing of being really vulnerable, really letting people into my personal life and it just coming back to like cause more pain instead of healing and empowering. And I also have found the same thing that your clients, if you're, whether you're a coach, a business owner, even just a personal brand or an influencer, like if people don't see you as a safe space or if people feel that they can't come to you with their stuff, you're not doing your job, right? If they're like, oh, well, Marie's really struggling right now. So I'm not going to tell her that my launch isn't going well, or I'm not going to tell her that this thing is going wrong in my life, which that's not their job. My job is to support them. And I have a therapist for my problem. Yeah. And it is really important that you do have the therapist. And I think there's two big things uh, that come to mind when you say that. And the first is, I, I don't like it, but I've, I think I've finally come to a spot where I get the saying, like, do you want to be liked or respected? I think I'm mm-hmm. choosing respected. And I think the very yeah. vulnerable stories and content comes from a place where your ego still really wants to be liked. But and people like aren't going to like you. And, people are yeah. going to like you or not like you. And it has nothing to do with what you say or do. So crying on your yeah. stories might make some people feel sorry for you. But it will also make some people not take you seriously. For example, like everyone does what they want to do. But I think I've come to this point where there should be this like curated vulnerability like I have in my coaching calls. I'm kind, mm-hmm. but firm. I'm funny, but also a little bit rude. And I think that's, I'm only going to allow a very few people to really look into what's really hurting my soul mm-hmm. in the moment. And it's different too, to be able to process it and come back later with the lessons and the story and the experience and share what you learned, right? It's like the saying of teaching from the scar, not like your gaping wound. But that's so funny that you say that because I used to disagree with that saying. Like a year ago, Mm. I was a fan of showing the gaping wound because I was like, no one is showing it online, but I don't need it for validation anymore. So you you are probably proud of me. I finally don't feel the need anymore to show everything. I am proud of you. And I, I've just been on the internet sharing my life since I was literally 16. So I've been through every iteration of like, do I share everything? Do I share nothing? And I've landed in like a very similar place as you in terms of being selectively vulnerable about the things that I don't need true safety with. And then the things that I do need true safety and true support, like those are for the people who choose me and unconditionally love me or my therapist who I pay (laughs) to, to be that person for me. And I think sharing the reflections and the lessons and the stories is vulnerable, but it doesn't need to be reporting live from the scene of the, of the accident. Like it doesn't need to be that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I think that might be different if you're more of like an influencer purely, and maybe you make your living with brand deals or merch or whatever. But if people are coming to you for true, like advice or mentorship or education or whatever it might be, like 
you have to you have to create a safe, stable yeah. environment. And I think especially with a team or in my case, because I've I've been thinking about this, do I need to be like more tough as a leader? What do I need to change? I was talking about it with my dad last week. I was like, I think I need to be more tough. And he's like, I don't think you do. I think you just need to keep on mm. finding your own style. And I want my team to be able to depend on me. I want them to know that there's a safe space. If I am freaking out and not balanced in a room, they will feel it. And then they will be, mm -hmm. there will be a problem. They won't come to me and then they get overwhelmed yeah. and then they quit. And I don't want that anymore because <laughs> that's happened. Mm -hmm. um, and but that also means, for example, I have an office in, in Antwerp. I live in the suburbs in Belgium. And my team always meets on Fridays at the office. And mm -hmm. some of it is virtual working. Some of it is in person. And recently they asked me like, hey, on Fridays, it would be nice to spend some more time together. Could you come to the office for full days? But I'm a very mm. highly sensitive person. Being in the room with so many people is intense. Plus, I have a lot of responsibility to bear. And I have to be the creator and the coach and the team leader and mm -hmm. all the things. And I told them like, guys, I, I would love to spend more time with you guys, but I can't be there an entire day because that's too much for me. And then I get rattled and frazzled and I can't afford to do that anymore. And that is kind mm -hmm. of a, gotta suck it up. You can't, you can't let them see. Yeah. It. yeah. And, and, and I might be in the pendulum of change. I might be a little bit on the extreme side now, but I've kind of accepted that. That also means I will be more tough at times and will be like, I need this by then. Can you make this happen or not? This is not going to happen. So it's boundaries and choosing to be respected and not liked which will right. be painful too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other, once you, once you choose that path and you really identify priorities, like it's also, that also comes at a cost and you get more of what you want the most, but you sacrifice other things. And I think that's such a good point about like being a leader, being an entrepreneur, just being someone who's goal oriented, like it requires a level of self-awareness. It requires a level of awareness for your environment and being adaptable and flexible and not being married or tied to like one specific paradigm or one specific mode because things change. I mean, God, the last two and a half years, like we've had to just adapt left and right. And you, if we dig our heels in and are tied to something working out a certain way or or having to show up a certain way, like we'd be dead in the water. Like that, that just wouldn't work. Yeah, exactly. So I think yeah. it's, yeah, normalizing the fact that things change and you will always have to adapt is a nice one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious now, you know, you've talked about boundaries, you've talked about the self-awareness piece, the, the growth piece and your development, but how do you approach work-life balance because I'm I'm very similar to you where I love working and I would like I would rather keep working and pay someone to do all the other stuff but I also know that you really prioritize like your rallies and your personal time and you're really strong on boundaries and self-care now at least so what are either your like golden rules for yourself or your rituals how do you reground yourself when shit is hitting the fan kind of give give me a like look behind the curtain on that piece yeah I think balance is a little bit of a trigger word for me so I always joke about yeah. it I'm like I don't like the word which is probably a sign that I need it <laughs> um it's just like there's two, just two sides to this coin on the one end I want the balance on the other end I know that I am a highly sensitive person I am a high sensation mm -hmm. seeker I have all of those things so I've started accepting the fact that I like to go in peaks so I like to go hard mm -hmm. and then do nothing instead of trying yeah. to do the same thing every day 
Uh, so for mm-hmm. example, today I did a live, I recorded four podcasts and now I'm podcasting with you. I'm yeah. happy. Like this and yeah. it's quite crazy, I think, <laughs> that yeah. I did that. Um, yeah. And I also know how to plan it according to my cycle, for example. I will not plan a day like this anymore when I am on my period, but I'm going to mm-hmm. start ovulating tomorrow. So today is fine to do Perfect. this in high energy. Uh, yeah. So I've started tracking that. For example, that's a tiny thing that I was very skeptical about until you actually start looking at it. You start realizing like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. And I think the- And you start noticing like, oh, my mental breakdowns are happening the same time every month. Interesting. Every four weeks. So weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, so also when I have events and stuff, I won't do that. When I'm on my periods, I'll plan it around my ovulation, photo shoots, stuff like yeah. that. Uh, yeah, it's it's not golden yet, but it is something I pay attention to. And for me, my morning routine is is very important, as well as blocking my nights from work. So, for example, I used to do many webinars at night or coaching calls at night. And in the beginning, you do have to be flexible. You see mm-hmm. clients at night. But at a certain point, you know, I had a lot of people who wanted to work with me. I was making good money and I decided, you know, when I work past 8 p.m., I can't sleep because I'm overstimulated and then I can't sleep and then I'm like cranky the next day. So I started just saying evenings are really, really exceptional that I will do that. It's for a big launch or if I'm having an in-person event, but webinars, I will do them during the day. And then people will just have to figure out, figure out a way to Mm -hmm. attend during the day. So I started just really looking at what um, impacts my sleep, which is like a linchpin which is a big one. Mm-hmm. So I have a Philips wake up light. So I don't have my phone in my bedroom. And I think these are tiny things for me, but they would make a world of difference if people would actually respect them. I will never sit mm-hmm. on the couch with my laptop and work on the couch with my laptop unless I'm like sick and I want to like, that's, there's a vibe, but that happens like once a year, maybe. I know yeah. it's a sign that I'm really tired then and I need to rest. So I won't work at mm-hmm. night. Unless, you know, sometimes you just got to grind through, okay? But then it won't be alive or something I planned in. And my mornings, I have a personal trainer four times a week. I know I need an hour to wake up and eat. I used to be like, oh, you have an early day, set an alarm 30 minutes before. I've come to this point where I've stopped negotiating with myself. Stop negotiating mm. my, about my goals. Stop thinking, should I adjust my alarm clock or not? When I set the alarm clock at six or at seven, there's a reason and I need to wake up. And I need an hour yeah. to get ready. So stop like overthinking the things. It's like, mm-hmm. you know how Steve Jobs always wore the same thing. I just wear the same thing my mornings. I eat the same foods. And there's yeah. one big one, which I'll, I'll finish with, which is my fast forward 15 exercise. I do this every morning. It takes 15 minutes and you can just set a timer on your laptop, your phone. And I have this app on my computer. It's called Simple Minds or on a piece of paper. And every morning I write down in the mind map my, my top three targets and the, the other 14 minutes I used to just brainstorm about ways I can achieve those. Those can be mm. to-dos, house, things I think about, looking up the stats of how something is doing. But it, every morning, and I'm lying, I don't do this every morning. I should be doing this every morning. It helps. <laughs> Ideally. Ideally. Um, I do that and it just trains my brain to then focus on the important stuff during the day. Because when we talk about work-life mm. balance, we're, we're looking at the fact that we want to balance life with the work, but in the work, it's just a lot of useless stuff we do all day long. But when you are focused on your big targets, you're going to stop checking your messages 10 times a day or 20 times a day. And you're going to focus on the big stuff and you can get that done in a lot less time. So staying focused on your targets. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, like having really clear priorities. The next thing is you have to be disciplined with yourself on actually keeping the main thing the main thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm always amazed the days that I like have my shit together like that. Like, oh, I got all of my work done in three hours today. Like, <laughs> and then the other days where I'm not focused, I'm like, why am I still sitting at my desk? Why? Yeah, I don't need to be here anymore. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> I know, but it, it helps to know that. Even the people that I see as badasses and super productive and killing it also struggle with the same thing. So thank you for normalizing that for everyone. Yeah, thank you as well. (laughs) Yeah. And just to wrap us up, I'm sure everyone who has just met you because of this episode now wants to stalk you everywhere. So where can they find your social media? Where can they find your programs? Tell us everything. Everything is Fast Forward Amy, um, and that means also the Fast Forward Amy Show podcast, which I highly recommend you listen to. And I'm also working on something new, which is my shop, which is basically my Fast Forward Academy and shop where we're offering like online templates that you can use to Mm -hmm. optimize your business, your finance and stuff like that. I'm starting to finally offer stuff in multiple languages. So um, if there's anything you need help with as an entrepreneur, just Fast Forward Amy or our shop, uh, you can find everything on my profile. And yeah, if you liked the episode, definitely let us know because I loved this. Marie, I'm so happy I was here. <laughs> but I, I feel like we have so much too. more to talk about, but we try we tried to we tried to cover some ground today. We'll have yeah. to do it again sometime soon. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. Everyone go send Amy some love and a big thank you. And we'll see you in the next episode. 